The following is a production of the Speedsport Podcast Network. Welcome to the iRacers download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, I'm your host, Taylor Burris, and joining me is my usual cast of crazies. Justin Prince, of course, is my co-host for tonight, and then our producer, Mr. Wayne Owens. And Justin, we have a special guest from iRacing. He is the broadcast director for all of the major iRacing events that we've seen on television, as well as we see with the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series, Mr. Drew Adamson. Hey yes, guys, and how you doing? Doing all right, Drew. And Justin, you were about to say? I was about to say he's definitely a great person to work with and someone that's very knowledgeable when it comes to being able to direct these broadcasts with a lot of experience the past couple of years. It's going to be, I think, a great show today. It certainly is. And Drew, welcome to the iRacers Download. How are you doing? Sorry, Justin, for cutting you off. Uh, seems like it's a typical Tuesday night for us. <laughs> um, I'm doing great, guys. Um, you know, It's been a fantastic start to the 2021 season so far with the completion of the Porsche Tag Heuer Esports Super Cup. And you know, we're halfway through the regular season of the Coca-Cola NASCAR iRacing series. I just got that name wrong, so I'm going to be butchered for that. But um, looking forward to the rest of the year as we got more exciting stuff coming up in 2021. It certainly is. And Drew, let's let's take a little step back in time. And how first and foremost did you get involved with sim racing, and then finally working your way up to what you're doing now? Oh man, <laughs> where to begin? Um, that's always a, a tough question to answer for people, but I mean, I, I honestly could probably root it back to, um, I remember when I was about probably in fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere around there, and Gran Turismo 4 had come out, and we got the original driving force uh, wheel from Logitech. And I think for me at that point, I mean, I was already a motorsports fan. I grew up around motorsports and um you know my dad was into it and apparently according to my mom when she was like six months pregnant she went to an indie car race at milwaukee right so even before i was like in the world i was around motorsports so and um i think it all just cultivated then and being able to race on that platform and then over the years raced on more games on different platforms whether it's playstation xbox or pc in fact i think my true first game might have been one of the papyrus nascar games not 2003 but i think nascar racing 2 so you know come full circle now to working for the same guy who made me start my uh sort of sim racing career um at at that point and um you know that that's that's sort of where it started and to get to this point i went to school at ball state with the intention of you know, working in the college sports athletics area, you know, I found that very interesting to be working not only, you know, I was just coming off of playing football in high school and I knew my playing days were over and moving into the media area would be fun because it just was something I was attracted to. And I also grew up around it. Um, my dad was, um, I believe it was the VP of new product and design um, in, at Turner Sports for 13 years. So I sort of grew up around March Madness Live, NBA Game Time, um, when they took over NASCAR.com in 2001, he was the project lead on that and helped build track pass and all that kind of stuff. So I basically sort of grown up in this world. And then I, when I went to Ball State, I spent four years a part of the SportsLink program that specialized in, you know, developing students who were going to be basically career ready by the time graduation happened and um, was the first freshman in the program, spent four years there and 
then graduated, went to work for a couple athletics departments, and then, um, you know, just made the move over to iRacing. So to try to give people a little bit of understanding of what your position is with iRacing, tell us of, of course, since you are a director, so for most people, they know what a director is when it comes to production of broadcasting. But for the esports world, delve into a little bit more of the technical side of what you do as far as handling these broadcasted races that we see. So a lot of the techniques and methodology that we utilize in our control room is identical to the real world. You know, that, that really helps when I spent all that time in the real world with the real sports to come over and do esports is we're using a lot of the same ideas and methods, but the technology, as you mentioned, has changed. So we're not using cameras in the sense of like a physical camera pointing it at like a field, right? Or a track. We're having to utilize the sim platform. So, but what a camera operator does and the principles of what his role is doesn't change. And I think that's what's made us get up to speed so quickly and be so effective at this you know, transition we've done in the last 18 months. We In-house, we've only been doing this for 18 months now. Um, so it's been awesome as well to work with Fox and NBC occasionally and get to ask them questions to make sure we're on the right path and we're still, you know, got the right philosophies and those kind of things. But it is very different in the sense of how you think about sports being covered. You know, esports as a whole is like that, but... A real director for motorsports is calling every camera change you see, whereas I'm not necessarily doing that all the time. Half the time I am, you know, cutting between our three camera PCs that we have, but I'm also telling the camera guys to cut cameras inside the sim, right? So I can be on, um, but then actually Justin was vital for our NBC Sports IndyCar races last year during COVID. He was one of my main camera was the camera one of my two camera guys that were remote last year and sometimes i'd have him be on a tv angle sometimes i'd have him jump on board right so there's like as i would call it multi-level cutting in that instance so i'm jumping from camera two to camera three but i'm also having the camera guys jump from one camera set to another camera set so it, it's it's just a different way of thinking and approach to it but all the principles of storytelling and stars and stats um, is all similar and identical to the real world. Of course, it's a very complex process for a lot of the stuff, Drew. How did all this start with the iRacing side to have this whole entire studio to develop it to where it's at now? Uh, so it's it's we've only been doing this for 18 months officially since uh, Coke kicked off last year in 2020. And then obviously craziness ensued you know, a month later. But the decision to do this actually happened a year prior in 2019. There was, a, you know, a, a, we, we made a decision to, in 2020, moving forward, we're going to start doing these in-house. Um, and it was basically 12 months of planning almost. And, you know, we eventually hired secondary person as well to become a part of the team which you guys know is now cisco and it took a lot to get us to where we're at in fact unfortunately one of the unknown stories is the timeline we didn't really get to get our equipment as soon as we wanted to because we moved buildings at the end of 2019 so we actually got the 
TriCaster TC1, which is our previous unit, and a camera PC up and running at the old office, right, to get some initial testing done to get uh, for me to get re-familiar with the TC1 platform since it had just come out um, the year before I left athletics. And just to get some of those initial test runs and ask some questions. So I worked with Hugo from RaceBot at the time on, um, we were back in 2019, we had a USAC championship we were doing and I was shadowing Hugo and asking him some questions and cause I've never done sim racing before. Um, just to figure out some quirks and those sort of things. And um, we did that initial testing, but then we moved into the building late October, early November, and then we got all the equipment and all the pieces and parts. And within uh, about um, a 60 day period, we went from having a room that was just ready to be, you know, done to a full control room to what a lot of people see on social media today. Right? So we went from an empty room with two TVs on the wall and some speakers to what people see today in about 60 days. Um, and then 60 days later after that, <laughs> COVID happens and we're doing stuff on TV. So there's actually a pretty cool 150-day window in there of just just complete chaos that you know is pretty memorable. And, and, that, and that's kind of the timeline that we had to work with to get all this up to speed. So there was not a lot of testing beforehand as much as we would have liked. And the process too, on top of things, once everything got up and running, there's been a lot of being added on, it seems, throughout the broadcast as well, such as for those for full disclosure, of course, or have the experience with some of those productions from my personal viewpoint to see a lot of the grow, growing roles. What's that been like as time has gone on to adapt and continue to evolve to where it mimics the real world like it does the today? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we started off with a pretty small crew last year. I mean, there was really only three of us full time really in the control room. And now there's about six or seven of us in there um, on the crew list for Coke races. And then we obviously have our digital crew as well. Um, which, you know, you're a part of Justin and hopefully maybe Taylor at some point will finally join us if I can get my act together. Um, but I think what's been great about this process and for me, I'm always about change. I'm always about, um, trying new things, evolution. You know, I don't ever want to stop trying things or experimenting because I, I think, you know, in the very nice comment you just gave us even in a year so far, things have changed dramatically. And I'm always looking to try to push the edge and try new ideas and even, you know, occasionally go further than some other people are comfortable with, right? You know, within some limits. But, you know, after only a year, we completely overhauled our graphics package in two months, right? That That's a pretty tall task. We've expanded our personnel on staff by 150%. I know we went from having eight or nine people last year on a Coke race to now where we've gone up as high as 17, 18 people. So it's just, it's been great to work with all these different people and all these different experiences and to be able to blend together as a team and try these new experiments, try these new styles and just try to push the boundary of what the real world can do and then take that and push it in the direction of esports to try to make it to the viewers 
what we might classify as normal while still giving them some enhancements. Absolutely. And of course, there's some coordination too now with a lot of the real world action coming into play, Drew. Uh, what's that coordination like trying to coordinate with the sanctioning bodies such as NASCAR, such as Porsche for the Porsche Takeover Esports Super Cup? And as well with the real world broadcast companies and productions such as Fox or NBC or anything like that. What's that coordination like to try and execute the broadcasts at a high class level for the world championships as well as for TV? So it depends on the group. Obviously, everybody does things differently. Um, different people are involved in I, at iRacing. Um, you know, we have some different people who manage different relationships, but um, it, it is absolutely a lot of coordination, especially with the TV groups. Um, because our technologies are different, right? We don't use satellites. We don't use fiber. We go straight to stream to, you know, YouTube over Ethernet, like a lot of people. So um, mixing technologies and those kind of things has been a lot of coordination and a lot of bit of a challenge. But that's been what that's what makes it so fun for me is it's different, right? And every series and every partner that we work with, whether it's Porsche or NASCAR or Fox or NBC or IMSA or IndyCar, I mean, they're all different, right? And even my level of involvement is different, right? Um, you know, our main contact for some of the TV stuff has been Steve, right? So I'll work with Steve and Fox on how we pull off productions and what some of the storylines and ideas. And, um, you know, with NASCAR, it's a lot of auto. Kevin, it's Porsche. So you get to work with these different people and personalities and different groups and, um but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a lot of coordination, right? It's a lot of different people, a lot of different sponsors, a lot of different partners. And so it, you can imagine there's there's just steps to it all. I think the coolest part of it is, though, is, yes, we're all on the same platform. It's iRacing, but, you know, we're doing road racing. We're doing short tracks. We're doing ovals, road, you know, different kinds of road courses with endurance, with IMSA, right? So the shows are always different. And even with NASCAR and eNASCAR, the Coca-Cola series, those are different. So we're doing the same job, but it feels different because of the show and the partners. It certainly is something amazing to see what you guys are able to accomplish. But coming up, more with our guest, Drew Adamson. You're listening to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. I'm Justin Prince, alongside Taylor Burris, Wayne Owens in the director's seat, as we're with Drew Adamson, broadcast director for iRacing.com. Now, Drew, when it comes to this whole process, to be able to go through all this, what are some of the major difficulties to try and balance everything out? to make sure you execute, to try and make sure that everything goes off without a hitch because there's obviously a lot of pressure when it comes to doing these types of broadcasts. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it depends. Like I you know, mentioned earlier, it really depends on the series sometimes what the difficulties are. I can tell you um, a lot of times it can be paints. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, not everyone's is experienced with our painting system, and or they have people who do it for them when they, you know, buy a paint. 
but you know making sure that we get the right car you know skins on the cars because you know that's 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 sort of their primary advertising that they're they've been selling and sponsors so sometimes it can be that but i think the hardest part and where the pressure comes from is knowing that there's a lot of expectation because of the great work we've already done and the fact of look at where we've been to look at where we're now so how do you keep going forward i think that's the hardest question to always answer is how do you keep going forward new ideas and new styles and those kind of things then it certainly is and you know if we go one year back to the hectic year that we call 2020 drew you know that's when the esports world started to showcase its light to the rest of the world in a sense with races such as the iRacing Pro Invitational, IMSA, IndyCar, even World of Outlaws, and then, of course, other sim races also were getting involved with it. What do you think makes the iRacing platform and their broadcasting capabilities differ and even, I have to say, more experienced and better compared to what we also saw when other esports events were going on? Well, I think part of it comes down to just the, the partnerships that we have with some of the amazing manufacturers and sanctioning bodies that we have. I mean, we've been around for over a decade now, so that obviously helps when, you know, a sanctioning body like NASCAR can trust us to the point that, you know, I'm not saying that they're hands off on the NASCAR, the NASCAR Coca-Cola series, but, you know, we, we do have feedback meetings and follow-up meetings after shows with them, but I mean... A lot of the time, they are at a point where they're comfortable with us doing what we're doing because they know it now at this stage that we're we're in it to put on a good show. We're not trying to make anybody look bad. We're not trying, you know, I'm not saying other people are trying to make them look bad or anything like that. But there's a level of trust there through experience and understanding. And I think part of it comes down to the amazing work of our developers. I don't know of a system outside of ours that allows the freedom of designs on race cars, of camera placement, of audio customization. I mean, just top down art, engineering, even web guys on the UI interfaces and the ability to just interact with the sim. You know, in fact, I've been asked that question um, before in relation to, you know, what's it like to be, be able to, to do this? And I said, my job's actually pretty easy if you think about it. I'm just the pointy end of a spear for the whole company, right? I'm the first man through the wall because we're on the broadcast side. But there's a whole you know, six, seven-foot stick that this pointy object is attached to that is putting all this hard work behind it. And we just have the pleasure of being able to show off all their hard work. It certainly is. And, you know, what would have to be probably your favorite moment during that period of time when these broadcasts were going out on Fox Sports, NBCSN, of course, the, our normal, the normal platform where you stream YouTube and Twitch? Favorite moment? Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble if I pick something. Someone's going to get upset. <laughs> um, man, um... I think it it did. I, it was all so memorable just because of the challenge. I can give you some highlights and some not highlights too. Why, why not that? How about that? Um, so the one question I've always wanted to answer, and I'm just going to answer it for you guys. 
during that time period of COVID when we were, you know, we were just over a month into doing our own broadcast and then jumping into TV and all these shows and sometimes doing up to five or six shows in a week, right? During that sort of late March, April and May area. I mean, that was a long two and a half months for us. Um, the hardest part and why maybe the pressure didn't get to us, eating and sleeping were the two hardest things. And no joke, there were a few times, and I've learned over the years how to hide this well, but and this is from my experience in college. There was a lot of times when we go into those IMSA shows, the night after a uh, box show on TV and a Coke race, I wouldn't sleep Wednesday nights. And I'd stay up all night getting all the assets and paints and all that stuff ready for IMSA the next day, and I'd you know, maybe catch 20 minutes of sleep after everything's done and it's like 10 a.m., right? And then all of a sudden, 10.30, we're starting to get the room repowered on and all that kind of jazz. So, And then you have to figure out when to eat and you have all this work to do. So honestly, during that two, three-month period of us doing all those shows on all those different platforms and different networks and eating and sleeping was the hardest thing <laughs> of all things. Um, That's insane. Right? And it's, it's something you don't think about. You know, we had... I mean, the best way to put it is we had a week where we did Coke on Tuesday, turned around, did a Wednesday Fox show, turned around, did a Thursday IMSA show. Then on Friday, we did some initial testing with Fox for the big Sunday NASCAR show. And then we did some run-throughs with IndyCar for a few hours on Friday. We then turned around that evening and through Saturday morning, you know, put all the assets in and go through everything because uh, that was part of our problem too is just because of how many things we were doing time to put in assets and anyone who's done this broadcasting before in any form there's there's prep time right there's creation of assets loading assets those kind of things and we had to do those in between events and you know by the time 10 a.m rolled around on saturday it was check in with indycar by the time 11 rolled around crew was showing up 12 the talent was showing up one o'clock we're on the air with nbc right and we're on there until about three then we get like an hour off and that's when we figured out on saturdays when to go eat and then we come back and flip the room basically and i mean literally because then cisco would actually direct the saturday night thunder races that we're doing and i was his graphics operator at the time so he was tdng and director back then um because i was just mentally beat by then and so we'd flip, and then we'd do that till about 8, 9 o'clock at night. And then we'd reflip the room again and get it ready for Fox NASCAR on Sunday. And we'd go through all the assets. And that was just one week <laughs> of that whole period. <laughs> so I think the highlights was being able to officially say we did official IMSA-sanctioned events, right? IndyCar on TV, NASCAR on TV. We weren't unfortunately doing the World of Outlaws, but the great job that Racebot did with World of Outlaws, I believe they did it on CBS. Um, well, not only know, that, but also Dirt Vision as well got involved. Dirt Vision as well. So there you go, an extra platform. Um, and to be able to just hit all those notches, right, and not really miss a beat. I think that was – that's probably the, the, the best takeaway from it is we were operating on full capacity without any gas in the tank. That 
is probably more busier than most people would expect someone in the world of broadcasting. And especially during the time that you, during last year when everything was pretty much shut down, is phenomenal of what you and the team that you have over at iRacing, as well as the people at Fox, NBC, IMSA Radio, etc., as well as the major touring series that got involved with this to come together to bring this platform in order to keep people entertained during a very interesting year that was 2020. But let's look to the future now, Drew, as we come closer to the end of this interview. Anything coming in a build? Well, I ain't saying anything about... Well, the only thing other than what we know, but what I'm saying, what I mean by the future is... What do you think as far as the broadcasting platform of iRacing can we see in the future as far as what we could expect? Oh, man. Um, I'm not really one to share my ideas. Those that work close with me know I pretty much play everything close to the chest. Um, I think the next step of evolution we're going to take is seeing more integration of some people in our control room and maybe more rotation of things and the ability to um, just take on more. I think that's one of the biggest evolutions we'll see, hopefully by the end of the year, is just we're going to do more. And I hope in the future we can just do more with the partners we have. You know, we have some really great ones with NASCAR, with IMSA, with IndyCar, World of Outlaws. I feel like I'm missing someone now all of a sudden, but, oh, Porsche, you know, all, all of our different manufacturers. I'd like to see more investment from them as well to get on board with this because I think this is a really cool roller coaster ride that we're all getting to ride right now. But, um, you know, I, excuse me, sorry. I think there'll be some other cooler innovations in technology in the next year. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have that the real world doesn't is computer technology and gaming technology is changing constantly so we're having to stay on top of it at all times now on top of things in terms of people wanting to get into things and wanting to grow in terms of broadcasting via the iRacing platform where do you see that future going for people wanting to get into broadcasting or even on the sim and wanting to learn and be able to develop their skills via iRacing for broadcast. Where do you see that in terms of the future going towards? Well, I'll tell you, in the last few years, I have seen more broadcasters than I have, you know, since I I was a member of iRacing a while back. I think it's amazing to see how many different people just love the platform enough to want to broadcast it. As far as New people trying to get into it. Um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I wonder if there's a possible solution on um, trying to teach people how to do it, but at the same time, do we want to? Because so many of us are doing it so well. Do we want more competition? <laughs> um, you know, I think the biggest thing is the biggest way we can see growth, not only for ourselves at iRacing, but all these other broadcasters is just trying to get more people to watch. I think people don't understand yet still how entertaining motorsports are and more importantly, esports. You know, I think there's so many different 
groups out there who are being able to carry those broadcasts and content across the board that I just wish more people would watch. I think they're really missing out on some awesome entertainments, you know, and I understand motorsports isn't for everybody. Um, but it, there, there's clearly an interesting wave here in the future with esports that, you know, I'm glad all of us here on this podcast are involved and we get to ride this roller coaster. Well, as we come to a close, Drew, thank you so much for coming on and kind of divulging into what you do as well as the behind a little bit of the behind the scenes of what goes on in a iRacing broadcast. And would love to have you come back on in a future show to talk more about how this rest of the season goes. But once again, that is Drew Adamson, broadcasting director for all the major iRacing events that you see. Of course, this is the iRacers download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Taylor Burris, Justin Prince, Wayne Owens back here. And Justin, we had a great interview with the iRacing Director for Broadcasting, Drew Adamson, on the show, and a great interview to give us the behind-the-scenes of what goes on in the production rooms for all of the major broadcast events that we saw throughout 2020 and 2021. It takes a lot of work to be able to execute the broadcast the way they do for iRacing because overall, as Drew said, it takes a small village, essentially for a lot of the work that comes into play. And we got to hear some of that hard work that's been put in so far and some of his thoughts on how things have played out. I found it very interesting overall to be able to discuss all of that, especially as someone that wants to get into more and more broadcasting, not just on the sim, but in the real world. It certainly is. And it's a great avenue, of course, in the world of esports broadcasting to hopefully one day have the chance to do that in the real world. But We do have some great news covering across the iRacing service. In fact, four new fixed series. Now, for those of you who don't know what a fixed series is, iRacing has two different styles of setup for their racing. They have a fixed setup, which is a specific setup that is used for that specific car and track combination for people to just go and focus on driving, as well as a open setup where you can personally make adjustments to the car in order to improve the driving as well as have a better chance of winning your selected races. Four new fixed setup series will be coming to the 2021 Season 3 build, Justin, and it's very interesting to see some of the choices. It's the Formula 3 Championship, which is using the Dallara Formula 3. The new One of the newer cars coming to the next build, the Formula V iRacing Series, and then the LMP2 Prototype Challenge, which will be using the Dallara P2s, and then the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars Fixed Series. So... An interesting combination of having these four series for drivers to use just to go out there, have a quick fun if they want to have the time and not put in the build in time to build new setups. It's very interesting to see some of these various different series come into play. I think especially for the World of Outlaws Not to Drink Sprint Cars for it to have a fixed series because it takes a unique driver set, first of all, in some cases to be able to know how to build, first of all. It takes a lot of time and dedication for all of the cars involved. So for there to be multiple new fixed series, it allows an opportunity for drivers to go into a practice, have a setup that they just need to focus on, just learning the track, and then in turn, trying to execute in the race. It allows an error opportunity as well to see how talent 
it, some of the drivers could be when you level the playing field that way and see which drivers can tailor their driving skills to the fixed setup itself. Now, the interesting thing is going to be how it functions for the sprint cars, I think, as well as specifically Taylor, because usually you have things such as weight adjustments you can make in the car and whatnot. If those are going to be functioning, how it's going to be playing out for those types of cars, all of that's going to be interesting, similar to what you would see for an open wheel machine for the Indy cars right now, for the Dollar IR18 in particular. So how that plays out is going to be interesting. But overall, this essentially gives the opportunity for drivers to learn important seat time as well for the new Formula V car essentially coming in for Season 3. It certainly is, and I'm looking forward to that Formula V. It's a big staple in the world of open-wheel racing and amateur racing as well as it's a major staple in the SCCA here in the United States. So I'm pretty sure a lot of fans will be looking forward to trying out those Formula V cars when they are released in June of this year. Another thing to point out, Justin, is also another major overhaul, more so to the dirt side, more specifically the dirt road racing side. iRacing has developed a new updated road racing ladder for the dirt side, so that's your Rallycross Pro 2 trucks, Pro 4 trucks, as well as your Pro 2 light trucks, as well a new Volkswagen Beetle light to come on to the iRacing service in order for drivers to who want to get their feet wet in a Rallycross and not have to worry too much about the sharp contrast of going from a fixed setup to then a more tougher style of racing with the open setups. And same thing with the trucks. It essentially is allows an extra couple steps for drivers to be able to learn the cars properly and get themselves to where they're up to speed, especially with the light machines, to where you start off, of course, with it being in the earlier days for the rookie class, but once it gets to where it's open, it's essentially saying, okay, you've learned how to drive. You've been able to get your license. Now it's an opportunity for you to try and learn what you can tweak on this light car to be able to learn what you can take to the higher levels. And I find that very interesting and very fulfilling to be able to have that extra part of the ladder for the Rallycross side in particular. It also gives a bit more structure and a bit more clarity for drivers to be able to make their way up the skill levels, make their way up the ladder to be able to learn the various different types of off-road cars and dirt road machines to be able to learn those disciplines. So you're not immediately jumping straight into the deep end and saying, okay, you're fresh from rookie class. Now you got to learn everything in the span of a couple of days. No, it allows the opportunity for drivers to be able to learn properly and make their way up the ladder and show their talent as they make their way up said ladder over the course of those various series. It certainly is amazing. And it's a great thing as well for the iRacing community to be able to go in there to have that needed time in order to enjoy themselves and learn more of the craft when it comes to rallycross and off-road truck racing. But now it's time that we take a look ahead to the next week. And next week, Justin, we're not going to go left, but we're going to go left and right, and deep in the heart of Texas, indeed. We are heading to Circuit of the Americas for the next round of the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. And, Justin, this is probably going to be the biggest wild card race of the entire regular season. It's going to be an interesting time because normally with the past couple seasons, the talking point has been, will Bobby keep up his winning streak? 
will anything happen? How will the mid-pack fare out? This year is much more different because this is a brand new racetrack for all the drivers. You have Mitchell Dion in the fold to be able to battle for the race win as well. You've got other strong drivers who have increased their road course skills over the past couple seasons, like Jimmy Mullis, like Vicente Salas, like Garrett Maines, who would be in the conversation. It's going to be potentially a wild race because a lot of the teams, of course, have to be working right now on making sure they can learn their marks for one, since it's a new track, but two, as Jimmy Mullis described to me, it's essentially a three-mile flat track that is going to be very difficult for the braking marks, going to be very open to passing opportunities, and very prone to potential mistakes, Taylor. And in turn, it opens up the floodgates for potential opportunities for drivers to dive their way through turn one, drive their way into the arena section. I think it's going to be an eventful race, first of all. But the second thing is, there's no full uncertainty on who takes the checker flag based on how some of the drivers have been and some of the road course experience for some of the newer competitors this season. It certainly is. I mean, like you brought it out, we have Bobby Zelensky, who's the winningest road course ringer on the eNASCAR circuit right now. Mitchell DeJong, who is pretty much the all-around iRacer on the service here in recent years. And then, of course, everybody else, you know, Vicente Salas, who just won, actually, one of the biggest races at Circuit of the Americas with the Cup Cars, Justin, which we'll touch on briefly the other a couple of days ago. So it's just exciting to see who will come out on top and maybe a surprise winner possibly in the works. There is that strong possibility, I think. It's going to be a very fun, aggressive battle, I think, up at the front. But in regards to that event you're referring to, the EPM America Omega Cup Summer Bowl as part of the ERA, drivers such as Salas, who came away with the victory, such as Mullis, who finished second after recovering from a penalty, such as Mains, who considered himself an underdog in said race, all those drivers, plus Zach Novak, said essentially the same lines of they wanted to run that event to be able to get more seat time at the track to be able to learn the marks to be able to learn the lines and all that's very vital and while there's been an update since then to the track itself which will impact how the drivers attack said track seat time is still valuable taylor and that drew a lot of those drivers in to be able to say okay we need to learn this track for the enascar coco i racing series event why not run this as well and try and run for some money while running at a road course to try and gain experience at said track? This is exactly the case right there. But we have to see who will come out on top. But Justin, we also have also other news regarding the iRacing iRallycross Championship All-Star Invitational that just kicked off this week with two rounds over at Atlanta Motor Speedway and Sonoma Raceway with their rally course configurations. Let's take a quick look at the first race at Sonoma. Connor Martell was the first one to take home the checker flag in a Subaru. And looking through the field, it is nothing but dominated by Subarus, except for Emily Jones, who came home in ninth in a Ford. Tell us a little bit more about how that race went. Well, it was a fairly close race overall, especially with how things played out. But it was interesting and especially how the middle of the pack fared out because there was a lot of bumping and banging, a lot of shuffling. You also had drivers like Landon Huffman and several others 
looking to show what they could do. So overall, a very competitive race, to say the very least, but a few drivers, I think, including Jones, keep in mind, who finished upside down in that race, is probably thinking what could have been. Certainly is. And then, of course, right from Sonoma, they headed over to Atlanta. And looking at that, it is France's own Johan Harth who will take home the checkered flag for race number two. Joni Alakinen will take, come home second, followed by John Robertson rounding out your top three. And even a shout-out to Garrett Maines, who was even made it to the finals for that race. So even a couple of the E-NASCAR drivers coming out to race in the iRacing Rallycross All-Star Invitational. Don't forget, Garrett Maines also ran when it was a pro series outright in said series, Maines did. So he does have that experience. But the driver in Johan Hart, you have to keep him, give him credit once more, just basically dominated that respective side of the racing action in the second half in particular to be able to take that checker flag. He certainly did. Of course, the next round will probably be. I don't know when the schedule is. I'm waiting for. We're waiting for the full results on that schedule. By the looks of it, it won't be for June another 1st. couple of weeks. June first, and where they are going to? Charlotte Motor Speedway. Charlotte Motor. That's going to be an exciting one because the Charlotte wrote the Charlotte Rallycross configuration is by far one of the most interesting and fun. I think Rallycross configurations on the service, as a matter of fact. So make sure to catch it on June first on all of iRacing streaming services. Well, Justin, it is time that we come to a close on another episode. Twelve episodes we've completed here so far. So with that, it is time we come to a close. For Wayne Owens, our producer, my co-host, Justin Prince, as well as our special guest that we had, Mr. Drew Adamson, I'm Taylor Burris. Please make sure to leave a comment, rating, or review when you listen to us on any of the podcast streaming services. And finally, thanks again to NASCAR Digital Media and the Speed Sport Podcast Family Network. And for that, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the iRacers Download.